Welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters that are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Will Lynch, and I'm the associate editor of Resident Advisor. For many house and techno DJs, technique takes a back seat to track selection, but not for Ryan Elliott. As anyone who's seen him will tell you, Elliott's style is impressively dynamic. He's been known to burn through as many as 40 tracks in an hour, armed with nothing but decks and a loop grabber. Somehow, he makes it all sound silky smooth. It's a method he learned in his hometown of Detroit, and one that helped him land a residency at Berkine, where he's one of the few artists to play both upstairs and downstairs on a regular basis. This August, Elliot released one of our favorite DJ sets of the year, Panorama of R6, the first official mix from Oskutone to be released for free via SoundCloud. Earlier this month, still recovering from a weekend set at Berkine, Elliot came by our Berlin office to talk about the mix and his career leading up to it. So, Sunday morning, you played Panorama Bar. Yep. How'd that go? It went well. That's a tricky time there, but it took a little while to get into it, but after a while, I think it got there. It went really well. I always have a good time playing there. It's my home base. Yeah, it was really fun. What kind of prep goes into one of your sets there? It depends. Sometimes I'll take the records. That, sometimes I have to take the records that I took with me the night before because there's no time to, to switch them out. But I know the room pretty well now, and I usually just try to pick pick some records that I know will work in there, and maybe make a few folders of files on my USB sticks, get one intro track ready, or that one and the next one, and then just kind of go with it. Do you think that club has a feeling of, this is where you need to bring your A game, or this is where you need to do something you know, a little different? I always really try to bring my A-game to Panorama Bar because I, I really feel it's the best club in the world and there's there's a lot of competition of people that want to play there and I don't have to worry about playing there next month because I'm a resident but I always try to really, people come from out of town and they spend a lot of time and money on flights and hotels and stuff to come to that club and I want to give them as good of an experience as possible. So about your mix, Panorama Bar mix. How did the process of putting that together relate to the act of actually playing there? Yeah. The problem that I see sometimes in um, club-based mixes is that sometimes the mix doesn't actually sound like what the club sounds like, like when you're there on a Sunday or something like that. So I had to balance the task of, I wanted it to sound like a, like a Sunday morning, but at the same time, it can't be quite as banging say as a, as a live recording because people are sitting at home or at their office listening to the mix so you have to juggle those two factors so i made sure that i p- put on the mix some of the stuff i always play in there maybe some of like my classic not things that i made but my go-to records some of those but then also made sure that it, w- it still sounded okay in a office or home listening environment i to be honest sometimes i'm playing at 
128, 129 BPMs in Panorama Bar. Not all the time, but sometimes. But for the mix, I think I got it to maybe 127 in certain parts. Just because when you're sitting at home, that sound 129 can sound really fast. Yeah, that mix is a bit of like a kind of an experiment, I guess. First time Oscutone put out a mix like this where it's an official mix, but it's free and it's online. And I guess maybe the first time kind of anybody did where yeah. it's an official mix series. But was it in any way kind of nerve-wracking to be, you know, doing something like this for the first time yeah there were lots of challenges that came with it when it was beginning of this year i sat down with our label manager yenis and he asked me to do the mix and i was super excited very honored to be asked we had heard a little bit about this coming maybe a year ago that possibly the mix series would be the format of it would be changing but nothing concrete and he told me yeah for sure there's not going to be a cd anymore we're going to move to this new format and honestly, at first, I was a little bit disappointed that it wouldn't be a CD. But then when he and I got into the really the nuts and bolts of how it would actually be this new format, what the, what the file size and quality would be, what the SoundCloud page would look like, what the Oscut website page for the, dedicated to the mix, what that would look like, how, what you would press what kind of button you'd press to download it, stream it. Those kind of, When we really got into these nuts and bolts of it, I really started getting excited because I thought it would be a way that maybe a lot more people would hear that mix than otherwise would. And then we started putting the physical pieces to it, like the, the two EPs. And, and then I saw the kind of little poster for it that they have out in Panorama and Bergheim right now that it's kind of, it kind of looks like a CD cover, but it's a little bigger. Started seeing all that stuff together. And, and when, I, when we had the final package, I thought, wow, this is really, I think this is the way for it. I really like this new, this new format. But there was lots of um, challenges, especially with trying to explain this new format to people's music, who you want for the mix, you know? There were lots of questions. I'll, I'll say that. I know you make tracks and everything, but... Mm-hmm. Um, would you consider yourself sort of a DJ first and foremost as an artist? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a DJ first. I, I started DJing almost 15 years ago now. Slowly after I was DJing for a while, I moved into edits. And then slowly from edits, I moved into remixes. And then slowly from there, I moved into original production. So I've always considered myself a DJ first. But in the last few years, especially since I moved to Berlin, I'm becoming more and more comfortable with production and, and having a lot more fun doing it. As a DJ, is it hard to sort of translate that kind of craft or that art form into, you know, a product, like a record? Yeah, it is. Really the only, I think the only really solid product that you can have as a DJ is either a mixed CD or I guess kind of this new format because people want to, they want to hold on to something. They want to, like if you're a producer, you can have a, people have your records or you know, your albums or, but as a DJ, really most of the time, the only thing that people have is that night in the club. It's not something they can hold in their hands. So it's really hard as a DJ to, to have that physical product a lot of times, unless you do mixed CDs or hopefully this, this new format. Does this new format seem like satisfying to you as like, this is something that where you feel like you kind of got into it, you know, the same way you would. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, now, that we've got, it, it's all out there. So the two EPs, all the, the flyers and everything and the new file format and you download that and you have all the artwork with it and everything. I think that's just as good as a CD. I think most people's CDs kind of go in a box 
after, I don't know, mine went in after a year or so and they never, they never come out of that box. Yeah, I know. I remember seeing Infonica Records in London or something, even pretty popular, like fabric mixes and stuff like that. At this point, it's just so hard to realistically picture like you're in someone's car and they've got a mix CD and they, you know, yeah. it, it just feels like that time has, has passed, passed kind yeah. Of, yeah, for better or worse. Right. So you're known for having this particular DJ style, which I guess considered sort of fast paced. Um, you break through these tracks pretty quick and um, have like a looper going sometimes and whatnot. How'd you develop that style and why, why do you think that is the way it turned out? I don't really know. I've always kind of played that way, maybe because I have OCD. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just, um, there's some people that DJ very well, playing each track for a long time, slowly building the energy. That's just never been my style. Everyone's personally different. I've always kind of edited tracks down to maybe three minutes, three and a half minutes. That way I could go through stuff quicker. Well, I think a lot of American DJs, that's more of an American style. Maybe that goes back to hip hop or like early techno days, Jeff Mills, guys like that. I'm not sure, but DVS1 kind of plays a little bit that way. You notice more of the American guys can play that way more, I think. And yeah, that's that's just my style. I don't really know how it developed. Did you have anyone that you you know were inspired by or that mentored you or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, I loved. I mean, I, there, I can't play even close to the way Jeff Mills plays, but he's always been a huge inspiration. I never had a DJ mentor. My friends and I, we would go to clubs, but we didn't know anyone that DJed. So we would just see the DJ in the booth and think, hmm, what what's this guy doing? And we bought a set of turntables and just learned just learned it ourselves. I never had anyone that really mentored me. So I kind of just figured it out myself. What were the formative experiences for you with DJing, with DJ culture? Motor, Club Motor in Detroit. I didn't go to a, even though I was in Detroit growing up and not growing up, I was already grown up, but during the rave culture in Detroit, I didn't go to too many of the raves, but I really liked going to Motor, which was our big, I guess, mega club when, during the... 90s when everybody had a mega club that was Detroit's going to that seeing Rob Hood there seeing Jeff Mills there who else did yeah just a lot of the Detroit seeing the big Richie Houghton parties in Detroit like Control Jack those those really made a made an impact on me for sure how did you first get sort of like you know involved in the whole thing how did you first get gigs and whatnot uh, let's see. I was actually, I started, I started late as a DJ. I was, I didn't touch turntables until I was 22, I think. I'd say that's pretty late as a DJ. It was after I came back to Detroit after university. And that was a time when, a time in your life when you actually have money to go out and the energy to still go out too. Like, you know, you get older, you don't feel like going out. And when you're younger, you don't have any money to go out. So uh, during that time, I, I liked I liked going to clubs. I liked dancing to, to house and techno. So we started going to Motor, me and my friends. And, and from there, I started noticing that there were certain types of music that I liked more than others. And really paying attention to the DJ, seeing what's this guy doing? What's this all about? Because I never knew anyone that was a DJ. I never had friends that were DJs. And then from there, we went to... Uh, it was called Better Days. It was an after hours in Detroit. And I re- this is how out of, the, out of the scene I was. I remember we would go at, 
two in the morning because that's when it opened. And we would go and we'd think, why does this place open at two in the morning? They can't sell, sell alcohol. Like, what's going on here? Why are these people coming here? You know, that's how out of touch we were with everything. But that's how we kind of got into the, the after hours culture. I was thinking about this the other day. It was New Year or Christmas Eve. 1999 is when we got our turntables. So almost 15 years ago, about one month short of 15 years. So we got turntables. And then from there, we started to learn how to beat match and trying to beat match. And then I started just making mixtapes, taking them around, giving them to people that I would see at the record store, record stores. Yeah, just the the normal way. I didn't really know a promoter or anything that kind of, I had to fight for my first couple of gigs, for sure. So you said you were really out of the scene. You didn't even, you know, get interested in turntables or until you're 22. And yeah. What kind of dude were you until then? What were you up to? I was a nerdy college guy, nerdy high school guy. Yeah, I, I went, I went away to college for four and a half years. And when I was at university, I just studied a lot. Kind of went there to get my stuff done. And in high school, I was a normal kid. I played sports and. Yeah, just a normal kid. I, I I remember thinking back a while ago, I always enjoyed music a lot. It never dawned on me to maybe pursue DJing or a musical-based career. I don't know why that never dawned on me until I was a little older. It's just funny. There's the uh, DJ bio cliche of like, you know, raising a musical family. Oh, yeah. You know, blah, that, blah, blah. That, I'm the opposite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like it's sort of like a funny left turn that that came all of a sudden. Yeah, and to be honest, I told my friend I, I had two friends that I lived with when I was at the time we got turntables, and it was actually their idea to get the turntables. I don't think I ever would have done it on my own. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe I would have at some point, but I told them a couple of weeks ago. I was like, "Yeah, you know, I can't believe you guys actually wanted to get those. I'm glad you did." Thanks. <laughs> Was there a particular point where it was like, you know, you're like, I'm actually starting to feel really serious about this, or maybe this is what I'll do forever, you know? When we got turntables, I I learned to beat match. It wasn't super easy, but pretty easy. And I, it was one of those things where, you, you know, sometimes in life, some things come really, really hard. And just for whatever reason, some things come easy and you feel like maybe you're a little bit gifted at it. And I felt like that with DJing. I felt like, oh, this, I enjoy this a lot. It's coming pretty, pretty easy for me. I maybe this is something that I should really pursue. So I started to get shows and gigs, and yeah, from after about a year or so, I knew that's what I. I didn't know if I would do that for a living, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. I knew that I saw myself as a DJ. At this time, I was working at one of the big car companies in Detroit Ford. I was a financial analyst there. And eventually it got to the point where I needed to decide because I wasn't, I wasn't given enough of myself to either one. So I thought that was kind of like the, the fork in the road. And yeah, I chose DJ, never looked back, moved to Berlin. Does it ever feel strange that that's the way it went? No. I was really scared when I first moved here. I, I, I mean, naturally as you would be, I think, just to, because I did have a good job and just to leave all that, but I wasn't happy doing what I was doing before. And I knew I w- would wake up, but I still wake up in the morning and think about records and DJing. And it's, I think it's what I'm put on earth to do. 
So I was really afraid, but excited, nervous when I moved here. But things happened pretty quickly for me once I moved here. So you moved here pretty much. Moving here was you becoming serious as a DJ. Well, I was serious about it before, but when I moved here, that's how I had to support myself now. And I was interacting a lot more with more people in the music industry, as you do when you live in Berlin. Yeah, it was kind of... I, I was already playing in Europe before I moved here. I was playing about... I would come over like once a month. Maybe I'd do two shows or three shows in a weekend. But I'd only come over once a month. And at that time, I just wasn't a big enough DJ for promoters to bring me more than that, I didn't think, if, while I still lived in Detroit because the flights are a lot more expensive, et cetera, et cetera. So I knew that if I wanted to take my career to, like, to the next level, I needed to move somewhere in Europe, I thought. And I also, I liked London and Paris, but they were at that point, they were just too expensive for me to move there. So I had relationships with DJs and producers here already, friends here, helped show me around and everything. So I thought, well, let's move to Berlin. Do you feel being from Detroit was an asset to you during that time? Yeah, I do. I think even still, I I, I don't really get it because I'm from there. But when you tell people you're from Detroit or they know that's really like this thing, you know, I think it's kind of getting overblown now for sure. But yeah, it helped. That's, it helped for sure. <laughs> I guess it probably also helped that when you were still there, yeah, you right. could meet people and there were yeah. people that knew how everything worked and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Did you find the community, when you were still in Detroit at least, did, did you find the community kind of accepting of you as like a newcomer trying to get started? Yeah. I mean, it always takes a little bit of time, right, before you kind of get accepted. But when I did, I noticed that, yeah, people were pretty open. The thing about Detroit is it's just really, really honest and real and you'll know if people don't like you and you know if they do. People just kind of wear their heart on their sleeve. That's just how they are. So, yeah, I didn't, and I think I'm that way too. So I didn't really have a problem adjusting too much and sort of assimilating that culture a little bit. How'd you get hooked up with Ghostly International and Spectral? I had a friend from high school and he worked at an Italian restaurant in Ann Arbor, which is the town where University of Michigan is. It's about 30 miles west of Detroit. And he was a waiter at this restaurant there, and he knew that I was an aspiring DJ <laughs> and that I was given my, I don't know if it was a tape at that time or CD, probably maybe CD by that point. He knew that I was taking them around to people. So he said, hey, my manager at this Italian restaurant, there's a jazz club in the basement, and they're looking to put on an Electron, quote unquote electronic night midweek and would you want to give him a CD and I said yeah sure so I gave the guy a CD and he liked it he offered me to come in like two or three times as like a trial run on Tuesday it was a Tuesday night thing and from like 10pm to 2am Tuesday nights and I had to bring the tur- they had a sound system because it was a jazz club but I had to bring everything else, like turntables, mixer, all my records. I had to bring all that. So I started doing it. And the first night that I was doing it, Matthew Deere came in. He came up and introduced himself, and he liked what I was playing. And I, and I invited him to play the next week with me. 
And from then on, it just became our night. It worked really good, so we did it together from then. And then from meeting Matt, I met Sam, who owns the label, labels, and everyone else. That's how I got started with them. So Matt Deer just came in, like, to hang out, or he was just... Yeah, yeah, he, him and his girlfriend and a few of their friends came in just on a Tuesday night by chance. I think they maybe heard that there was an electronic night or something, they wanted to mm-hmm. come check it out. So he came in, and yeah, I just went from there. What stage was... You know, what was there's a label at at that point? Uh, I think there had been, well, that was 2002 or three. So it was pretty developed already. I think Matt was already coming to Europe quite a bit. I think he had already had maybe his Perlon release out at that point. He was an already established artist at that time. Did you know who he was? I saw him in the crowd and I knew he looked familiar, but I didn't realize till he came up and introduced himself to me. So what was their pitch? There was no pitch, really. It just happened real natural. Like, Matt started DJing with me. Sam, the owner of the labels, would come in. And then he kind of asked me to start DJing with them as a spectral DJ. And that's how it started. And then slowly I started helping with A&R. I think uh, then I started doing a remix or two. I did a mix CD for him for, like, one of the um, 50th release of Spectral I did, I think. Yeah. So it just happened really natural, grew slowly. What's it like doing A&R for that kind of label? Or what are the sort of ins and outs of that job? Uh, to be honest, I don't do it much for them anymore. When I moved to Berlin, my role kind of, from me and from them, it, it became more reduced because I wanted to focus more on my own career, me as a producer more, and my own DJ career. But working with them was really nice. We The A&R is, is a tough job asking people for things, sometimes getting things back that you don't like. That's the hardest part about A&R, you know, telling people no. But it was it was really, really rewarding working with those guys. So when you came to Berlin, how long was it until you linked up with Oskuton? Uh Let's see. I, I moved to Berlin in 2009, September 2009. At that point when I moved here, I was already playing at the club maybe twice a year. So I had a relationship with the, the guys that own the club and a few of the DJs already. And I actually, this is a little known fact, there's only one Detman and Clock remix in the world. And I A&R'd that for Spectral. That was a Par Grindvik remix. So I had a, my point with that is I had a relationship with, with those guys through that and knowing them at the club a little bit. So I, I was already kind of, not connected with the club, but I, I I knew that I felt like something could happen with them, maybe. So once I moved here, it was about a year before I joined Oscar and became a resident. Kind of goes without saying, but that's sort of like a key. <laughs> yeah, I would, <laughs> I would say that's pretty key in my career so far, yeah. In the way that that's key, like... What would be different if, you know, if that hadn't happened or if, if you didn't have that kind of anchor to yeah. your current life, you know, like what, what is it that really makes that so pivotal? I don't, I've never really thought about what that would, what my life would be like without it. But um, it's just such a respected club and brand. I can't say enough good about the club, the people that run the club and own the club, the label. The guys that run the label, the other DJs, it's just a really solid organization to be associated with. We have big team meetings where we 
talk every couple months. And from my point of view, it runs like, like you hoped something like that would. It's an honor to be part of that group. What do you think they liked about you? I think they liked, I know that the, the very first time I played there, they really liked the set. I came back like that same year to do the birthday party in December of the club. So I think they liked me as a DJ. And also sometimes you just connect with people for whatever reason. And I really connected with the, the people that I met that run the place and the other DJs. I think maybe they just thought we were like-minded individuals. <laughs> so it kind of happened in the same easy, natural way as, um, you know, your thing with, uh, with Spectral. Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, I, I, when I moved here, I had a booking agent, but after about six months or so, I, I decided that I thought it was time to change up the, the booking agency here in Berlin. So I thought about asking them. I did ask them because I thought, well, I mean, you're, you're never going to get a yes if you don't ask, you know. So it was a long shot. But I asked the, the booker at that time what was going on. And, then, and she said, yeah, come on in for a meeting. And we had a meeting and then I joined. I imagine it creates kind of just like a steady situation as, you know, if you're making a living as a DJ, that can be sort of like a unpredictable, yeah. you know, way to make a living, way to right. live your life and everything. And, but I imagine it's quite, you know, that lends some stability to. Absolutely. To yeah. I, of course, there's lots of, say, booking requests that come in for me, just for me, for Ryan Elliott. But also there's a lot of booking requests that come in for Oscar showcases and things like that. So, yeah, it, it adds it adds a lot of stability to this job. How does it affect your sort of role as a producer being an artist on Oskutone? Even though I don't, my production output isn't a lot. I do quite a few remixes, but original material, there's not so much out there. It's kind of how I chose to do it. I'm really kind of in the the nice situation where before it was Spectral and with Oscar, now I don't have to shop my stuff around ever. And I know that's a really lucky, unique situation to be in, and I realize that. So it's it's nice with Oscar because I don't have to make something specifically for what I think would be a prospective label because I know it'll come out on Oscar. I mean, if we all like it and everything. And I can be really open when I make stuff. I can make something that from banging techno all the way down to house and I and it has the opportunity to come out there. So it, it gives you more confidence and comfortability. Is that even a word? Comfortability? Comfort. It makes you more comfortable to, <laughs> to sit down in the studio because you don't have to worry about, is this label manager going to like this? Is, you can make things the way it's supposed to be made, just you without thinking about where it's going to be released or something like that. Yeah, and I guess when the mix, you kind of have, to some extent, some level of guaranteed audience, and then also these people sort of helping you facilitate this, you know, killer project yeah. and everything. It's really nice with them. I, I, I worry about the musical side of it, and I don't have to worry about the other things, the artwork, the imagery, how it's presented, because they do such a good job with it. If, if I was with other labels, I would probably, I'm pretty... I like to be involved in every piece of something if I know maybe something's going to go wrong. But with them, all I need to do is handle the music side of it, and the rest of it is always done really, really well. Um, how did it work with the Panorama Mix, um, like commissioning the other music for the mix? When I was first asked to do the mix, and we knew about the new format, the first thing I did was ask producers whose music that I liked, 
I asked, started asking people for stuff, the exclusive stuff for the 12 inches. And with that, that's just the same as any 12 inch. They, they get a share of the, the sales. But with the, the, the CD itself, or the CD, the, sorry, the, <laughs> uh, the mix itself, it's for free. So everyone that I asked for music, like for uh, old records and stuff, it had to be for free. I couldn't offer them. We couldn't offer them any money for it. So I, that's where I, I really had to describe this format to people and maybe try to show them the benefits of them being on there. I thought it would be tougher than it was, actually. There were only a few tracks that I really wanted that I, did, I didn't get. And there were only a few producers that really didn't get it. I was really surprised, actually. I think that was one of the hardest parts about the whole mix is that I, I personally contacted everybody because I thought, well, if I was on the other end of that and it was coming personally from the person that was going to do the mix, I'd be more apt to say yes than if it came, to, came from a, maybe a label manager or something. So I, I emailed everybody, and that took a lot of work. And then answering all the questions and, yeah. Had you done a mix CD before? I did this the spectral one, but it was right, okay. all stuff from. No, I'd never done one before. Yeah, okay. I mean that I did that label based one for spectral, yeah. but I'd never done a mix CD. Yeah, it's kind of was getting out with my question earlier about the DJ and the art form thing, but something about the mix that seems like it might be a bit like constricting or something. You know, if if, if you're a DJ, if if that's you know your art form, even this new kind of mix has sort of has so many kind of funny imperfections that, that make it you know a lot harder than your normal job yeah like getting people to agree to for you to use their records and even if you had been able to pay them i guess it still would have been complicated because then you'd have to think about royalties and right. that's that's a whole other thing right how the idea for the mix first come up like was it that you wanted to do you know a mix or was it like they came to you and said let's sort it out two years ago or so i told them that if it if it would ever be possible for me to do one I'd be a thousand percent up to, up for it so they knew I wanted to do one and then last year it was it was my turn to do one or like January or so we started talking about it that it was my turn to do one I think that stuff's really important there's a few DJs out there that have gotten bigger and stayed there without doing that kind of stuff but it's uh I think it's really important and I artistically I it was a lot of work. I'm glad it's over now and that it's been received well because it almost drove me insane for a while. But just like any anything like that, looking back, I'm, I'm really, I'm glad I did that. Just like I really want to do an album at some point as a producer. I think you need to put yourself through those uncomfortable situations sometimes to just like, it's like exercise, you know, you need to explore that stuff. It helped me a little bit as a DJ because I was usually I'm just I DJ maybe th I don't know Thursday to Saturday and come home and do my other stuff. But when I was in the process of doing this, I was thinking about DJing every single day and all these different nuances and going through what mixes went good with this mix and it really it really helped. I learned a lot about myself artistically going through that process. <laughs> Just because it made you think about this thing that you do all the time. Yeah, you're kind right. Kind of scrutinizing it. Yeah, right. Way. Thinking about it in the middle of the daytime on, at your computer and all these little nuances that 
kind of I just go I go through when I'm DJing in a club because I've been doing it for so long. It's it's you're not even thinking about it half the time. Mm-hmm. But it it really yeah, it was an interesting process. Correct me if I'm wrong about this, but just on a topic of sort of like you know, refreshing the way you feel about DJing. Am I right in thinking that you had a pretty dramatic change in like your method or like your setup? Like you used to do, used to be like an avid tractor DJ. Yeah, first, yeah. When when I first started DJing, tractor wasn't even out yet, so I was using records. The last four years that I lived in in Detroit, I used tractor because at that time a lot of the record stores were closing down. So I was I would order still from Satellite and stuff in New York, but. Beatport had come up then. So that was really the way that I got my new releases when I lived there. And when I moved to Berlin, I was surrounded by record shops again. And that's the time when the um, the CDJ was getting a lot better. So there was really no reason to use Tractor anymore. So there's two types of people that use Tractor. The guys that can go in, guys and girls that can go in the club and you could put a blindfold on them, spin them around like three times, and they could still set all that stuff up really easily, you know. <laughs> but I, I was the I was the other side of it. I always would plug something in wrong, or the sound would drop out sometimes. So I it never I never totally got comfortable with it. Yeah, you said before how it's like you DJ from Thursday to Sunday or whatever, and um, you know, even with all that experience, it still is worthwhile to kind of have a new perspective on what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in general, do you find just the um, the kind of relentless schedule, like does it make it, does it ever feel hard to kind of be in the right headspace, like to, you know, to hear music the right way to kind of keep a like fresh perspective on what you're doing? I like DJing so much and I don't love traveling, but I, I don't mind it. A lot of people really don't, it really wears on them. I like my job so much. I mean, sure, on Mondays I'm tired, but I just think I'm really lucky to be able to be doing this. And I still, one of the most important things to me is that DJs, they need to music shop every week. That's one of the most important things to me because then you can stay grounded in in what new releases are that are coming out, see the kind of the lay of the land. So I I don't really, sometimes I get tired but it's kind of a good tired, like after a run, like you, yeah, like I never feel. You never feel burnt out, basically. Yeah, that's what I was. Gonna, I really never feel burnt out. A lot of people would take or do take breaks, like January, February, and I never saw a need for that. This year, I'm gonna do. I think it's three or four weeks. I'll just go to Detroit in January, no shows. But that's the first year I've done that. That's not because I'm burnt out or anything. That's just I want to see my family a little more. Hmm. But it, it never really, maybe by Sunday, you can be a little tired. But it, I never get tired of this job. I love it. Do you have any, like, special, you know, tricks that you have or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, exercise during the middle of the week really helps me. I'm a runner. And I really notice those weeks, for whatever reason, if I hadn't ran... I really get worn down quicker than I would. Also drink lots of water. (laughs) Hydrate. Simple stuff. Yeah, I mean, really the simple stuff. Remember to sleep, (laughs) that kind of stuff. Yeah, you mentioned buying music every week. What are your kind of record buying habits at this point? How do you consume music? Every week, I always, at least once a week, I'll go to Hard Wax. But also, 
Oye is by my house. Oye Records. I'll go. I'll go to a few Berlin-based record stores every week, and usually once or twice a month, I order from Dex here in Germany because they are they have everything always, and I always shop on Clone and Hardwax download the download sites every week. That's my habit. Do you have any method to like, you know, what goes in the bag or what's in your repertoire at the moment? When I first moved here, I used to go through almost all my records every week. And I don't have time, at least right now, for that. I have a big thing of records. It's all in one corner, and it's mostly new stuff and then some classics that I carry. And I just try to go through that every week, a couple hundred records, put in the new the new stuff that I got that week, and then, yeah, some new stuff, some old stuff. Sometimes I have to bring um, everything from from deep to, to banging because I may be playing like a a house based night somewhere and also maybe an Oscar thing somewhere mm-hmm. that's going to be more techno. So just a big mix of everything really is what I always bring. And I've actually just recently, I've started bringing less records. I still bring about, I guess it's about 40 that this little shoulder bag of mine carries. Hmm. And I noticed that I'm playing more, more records than when I brought say 60 records. I don't know why that is. Maybe because when I'm picking stuff now, I, there's no maybes that go in the bag. It's all, oh uh, yeah, I know I'll play that one. So I play, that's what I've been doing recently. Because I almost, there was a time when I thought my records had been lost, 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 lost. Not like you'll get them on Monday. Like they thought they were lost, lost, but they weren't. They just didn't know then. When you were flying or something. Yeah, yeah. and that really kind <gasps> of to me. So recently I've just been carrying this bigger shoulder bag that I don't have to check. And I've been playing more actually, and with sticks, I uh, with USB sticks, I I do. I've got certain folders for house techno, this kind of stuff. But then there's also new releases, and I, usually for that files that I buy, I put them in. I throw them in like a kind of a hold folder for a week or two. And if I notice that I'm playing them, then they go down into the other folders. <laughs> Not so much with records, but a lot of the files that I buy, I don't end up playing them. So I don't automatically put those into like my my folders. Say mm-hmm. they go into a hold folder first for a few weeks. That's my method right now. If you call it a method, <laughs> do you get much time to listen to the, all these tracks when you're not actually DJing? Yeah, I uh, I usually try to spend Thursday doing all that stuff and sitting at home listening to them, packing records. Just spend time sitting there drinking a tea, listening to music. That's one of the biggest things. I've noticed with digital becoming so much bigger is that people really don't know their music so well. And you have to. That's If, if you buy a record nine times out of ten, you, you've listened through the whole record. But with files, I, it's easier just to buy a bunch and throw them somewhere and then you haven't even really listened to them until you play them in a club. I've really noticed that a lot of people don't know their music and that's one of the most important things. Yeah, I guess the thing is, if you own a record, you're more likely to put it on at home or something. Right. But yeah, so it was interesting. A few months ago, I did an interview with Marcel Demon where he said the same thing that he has one day of the week where he just actually listens to all this stuff and sets aside. But, yeah. But I mean, it's interesting. And, you know, in this day and age, um, <laughs> it actually is tricky to know how to just manage all these possibilities. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I imagine, especially with your kind of way of mixing and stuff. You can't really be flying blind. Like you need to know no. exactly what happens in these tracks right. if you're gonna mix out right in the right. middle. Yeah. Kind of a change of topic. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the um, 
it's the RA year end uh-huh. DJ poll. This might be kind of a funny question, but um, how do you feel about stuff like that? Or um, does that sort of thing matter to you? Does does it seem cool? Does it seem like you know a pain in the ass? Or basically, <laughs> like I sometimes feel like um, DJs must feel like there there are little things that must make it feel like you know, you're in a rat race or something. You're, you're in a competition where maybe there shouldn't be one. I, I like that stuff, to be honest. I, I don't know. I, there's a lot of people that don't like that ERM polling stuff, but I actually, I don't mind it. I like it because the good thing and the bad thing about the, the culture that we're in is there's no right or wrong. There's no score. It's not like a soccer match where there's a clear winner and loser. And this kind of just helps show what people are liking, not liking. I like it. I don't mind it at all. Who's your number one of the year? Ooh, you're putting me on the spot. Well, Jeff Mills is always my number one. And actually, I know it's supposed to be about the year you're in, not just your favorite DJ. And I think he actually had... I saw him at a few festivals. and Man, he's playing better than I've ever seen him playing before. He really kind of seems like... I've never seen him play uninspired, but... It seems almost magical right now. I guess it must be kind of a, you know, it must mean a lot to another DJ that at his age, that many years down the line, you could still be bringing that kind of inspiration to what yeah. you do. I think he's the kind of guy, though, that just, I don't think his inspiration or creativity is ever going to go away. He's just one of those people, you know, whether it, it'll be making movie or uh, soundtracks for movies or... I don't know, maybe he'll switch to designing clothes. I just don't think he's his creativity is ever going to go away. In general, is that something you think about? Is just like, you know, does the idea of staying excited as a DJ the rest of your life, the rest of your career, is that, does that ever seem daunting? It's never seemed daunting. I've thought about it because it's a reality that I've seen happen to people. But so far, I mean, right now I like DJing more than I ever have. And I'm just as excited about it as I've ever been. So... I don't think there's any reason that that would have to go away. Like I said before, you have to music shop every week. You have to stay involved in this and you have to find music that gets you excited about it. You have to go into a weekend with new things that you really are excited to play for people and share. That's what does it for me. 